On today's episode, we have a pro runner spotlight with Andy Buchanan. Welcome to the podcast, helping you train, rehab, and run smarter. When I first started running in my 20s, I knew it would be something I'd be passionate about for the rest of my life. But unfortunately, developing injury after injury disrupted my progress and left me undertrained at the start line on race day. Even with my knowledge as a physio, I still fell victim to the vicious injury cycle and when searching for answers, struggled to decipher between common running myths and evidence-based guidance. That's what this podcast is here to help you with. So join me as a Run Smarter Scholar and let's break the injury cycle by raising your running IQ and achieving running feats you never thought possible. We have another pro runner spotlight. Um, the feedback and the downloads speak for themselves when we had Joel on talking about all things running. And yeah, this is um, no exception. We have a, a pro runner on our hands. I don't want to give too much away because Andy talks about his career and how it's very recently launched into uh, a fantastic direction for him. Um, and I, Unless you read the description, don't read the description if you haven't already. <laughs> I know when I listen to my podcast, I don't read the descriptions. Um, gives too much away. So um, what I will say is Andy's representing Australia. Um, he's in the marathon distance um, for the time being, but has done a lot of um, distances in terms of half marathons and cross country and shorter forms, and that sort of stuff. He is also a running coach, um, just really well-versed in running, running performance, training, fueling, recovering, all those elements. And we we dive into his particulars, how he gets through, how he's preparing for marathons and how he's pulling out ridiculous race numbers. Also, welcome Hilary Windsor to the, as the newest patron member. Welcome to the family. Thank you for signing up. Um, if you are anyone else listening is at all interested, um, the patrons sign up link is in every show notes um, and you can receive exclusive episodes including AMA ask me anything episodes and um, patron exclusive topics you do get to vote on those and decide on those and they just get released uh, twice a month you'll have access to so if you love these episodes and you're caught up in all the main feeds and you're looking for more content I'd be more than happy to deliver you can jump into the patron family and receive all those exclusive benefits. Um, I'm glad that we're diving into these pro run spotlights and it's gaining traction and popularity and getting some good feedback. I do have some female runners um, and other types of athletes like ultra marathoners and those sorts of things um, that I'm in discussion with. So we'll get a wide range of different perspectives, different distances, and hopefully just uh, new insights. So hopefully you enjoy. I know you're going to love my conversation with Andy. Andy, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. No, thanks, Brody. It's um, yeah, it's good to be on, and I'm always always keen to chat running and everything that involves running. So I'm looking forward to it. Me too, mate. All right, let's start off with people um, getting to know you. So, would you mind like introducing yourself um, and diving into your running career to date? Yeah, uh, so I suppose I'm a I suppose I'm a, a distance runner these days. I used to call myself a middle distance runner, but I'm not that anymore. Um, I'm also focused on marathons these days and, and cross country. They're probably my forte. Uh, I live in, 
live in Bendigo, been here for uh, about 20, 25 years now. Um, I'm a teacher. I live and breathe running. I coach a lot of people um, in the running space from, from juniors up to people that are running marathons. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I've probably, I was pretty late to the marathon, well, sorry, to the running game. Like I didn't start training till I was uh, year 11, so I was 17, uh, which is compared to a lot of people I was racing against, they'd been training since they were kind of 14, 15. So I was pretty late to it. Um, got into running because both my parents were or are marathon runners. So I grew up thinking that was that was the normal thing to do. Um, and yeah, really lucky for that. And yeah, now I'm kind of following in their footsteps in a way. Cool, mate. Um, when did you make the transition to marathons? Yeah, so I... I what have, I've done three now. So I did my la, my first one last year, which was over in Hamburg. Um, my second one was at the Commonwealth Games, and then I did Hamburg again this year. I actually I planned to do my very first one was meant to be Gold Coast, um, and we can talk about this in a little bit more detail. But that was the year that it got cancelled due to COVID. So I actually had a bit of a bit of a false start where I did all the training, was ready to ready to do my first marathon, and then it got cancelled. So um. I think that was actually a blessing in disguise because part of marathons, I think the hardest part is actually doing the training in the build-up rather than the actual race. So I did the training, didn't have the race, which was disappointing at, in the time. But I think it, it taught me a lot about the training. And yeah, so I've only, I'm still quite, I'd call myself still quite new to the marathon game and I definitely still haven't, I think I've still got a lot of room to grow there as well. Yeah, I I tried to do some uh, reading up on you beforehand and read. Tell me if this is true, but that that yep. Hamburg marathon that you did, you ran two hours twelve minutes. Is that right? Yeah, so that was my first one. So that was last year. Um, so two twelve, I think it was two twelve twenty or something like that. And then this year I ran two two ten twenty one. I think. Wow, insane! <laughs> what, yeah. What's your like? I guess you say like that was your debut, your first marathon. Is that like, did you run any other like non-official races or anything like that beforehand? No. So that was the first time I'd ran 42 K. So, um, I, in training, I kind of get up to about 39, 40 K, but that was the very first time that I'd ever ran that far. Um, which is quite funny to think. I, I don't remind myself that when I'm standing on the start line, because obviously that's quite daunting knowing that you actually haven't done that distance, then you're going to do it at a race pace. So that was the <laughs> first time that I'd ever, um, ever done that. And prior to that, my longest race had been a half marathon, which is 21 K. So it's Crazy. quite a big jump. Mm. So is that like, cause obviously competing in the Commonwealth games, you'd represent Australia for that. Um, yep. did that like qualify you? How did that work? Yeah. So through that, running that 212 that um, got me that spot on that Com Games team and it was pretty, it was an interesting experience because you obviously, like growing up, you dream of representing your country in whatever sport it may be and and that was a big dream for me and I never thought I was good enough to get to that level and then all of a sudden I'm standing on this start line in a marathon and I'd only done one before and I was like, I was shitting myself because I was like, did I just fluke that first one? Like, am I going to get absolutely blown out of the water? Am I going to be like Eddie the Eel here where I just get dropped and it's just a, a really <laughs> bad experience? So I really didn't have much confidence because I hadn't ran many. And like most people when they, like Commonwealth Games, it's a little bit different because that 
I think as a competition, it's really fading away and it's not as strong as what it used to be 20 years ago. Um, so it is a bit easy to make that team, but most people lining up on that start line, they've ran five or six marathons. They're like in the peak of their career, whereas I was just considering I was just starting and it was, um, it was quite a strange situation. Um, and, and yeah, I, I was really happy with the fact that I just didn't just participate. I looked to race well and I think I finished fifth or sixth, um, which I was pretty happy with given it was my first, it was my first major champs and my second ever marathon, like quite a unique experience. Very unique. I, I got to ask, like when you're at the start line of the Hamburg marathon where you ran that 212, um, what were you, what were you expecting to get? Like what, what would have, what would you have been happy with for the finishing time? Yeah, it was, I, I thought I could run around to 213, 214. I don't know. It's quite interesting. My coach who he actually, he competed in Rio Olympics um, as a marathoner. He's, he's ran 211. Um, and this was all pre super shoes, pre Morton, pre like a lot of things. So I actually think he's, I've got a better PB than him, but I still think he's a better marathoner than, than me. But, um, he, <laughs> he kind of, he didn't have the, the technology that we have. So it was really quite hard because he was like, Oh, I think you can run 215, 216. Whereas I was thinking, nah, you don't realize how much better these shoes are. Like you there, there's a few minutes there easy. So it was quite hard to gauge because normally he's really good with um with giving me training and then knowing what that equates to because he was a very similar athlete so he'll he'll give me a session and he'll be able to say yeah i ran similar times and then i ran 28 30 for 10k a week later and then sure enough i'll go and run 28 26 for 10 or whatever and so he's normally very good with that but with the marathon it's such a it's changed so much since he was running them that we will we were really unsure um, and I thought I could run around 213, 214, but it was just, it was such an unknown. Like you don't know how you're going to feel when you get to 30K. Like are the wheels going to fall off or are you going to feel good? And it's, yeah, it's, and that's what attracted me to it. And that's why I'm keen to do more because it's, um, it's a lot of time and effort into one, you get one shot at it. You can't just turn up two weeks later and have another go. So it, that's what I really like about it. Yeah, and there's a lot of things that can go wrong as well. Like you need the stars to align in a way for you to get like a, you know, to operate at such a elite level. There's, I guess, uh, very little margin for error at, when you get to that top tier. Yeah, it's so true. And especially like, especially on race day, but then even more so in training, like you, but one thing I've learned is it's very rare to have the perfect prep and I remember before my most recent one in Hamburg, so in April this year, I actually got sick for a week and had a and had a down week of training because I was just kind of I was still running, but I couldn't really hit any quality, and I wanted to try to recover. And I actually think that was a blessing in disguise because it actually gave me a chance to recover and then kind of reload. So I think it's um, but yeah, definitely on race day you can't you can't really afford too many little slip ups or anything like that because you are operating at like the near maximal performance. So it's everything kind of has to go right from weather to packs to how you feel to nutrition to yeah, everything. Yeah. Let's dive into that. Cause I, I'd be curious to get your take on what your training week kind of looks like. Um, yep. I know you'd go through phases as the, 
you get closer and closer to the race, but like just generally speaking on a given week, like, do you have set days where you run, what those sessions kind of look like, the distances, um, do you sort of mold this around a, a particular template? Yeah. So it's, um, it does, it does change a lot depending on what race I'm gearing up for. So there's kind of like anything from 3k, 5k, 10k half marathon that all looks pretty similar and then when i'm training for the marathon it looks quite different um when i'm just in a general phase i'll run about 180 ish k a week 150 100 no sorry 150 to 160 and then in marathon about 180 um for me i when i'm training for a marathon i'll run twice every single day um so that's normally a an hour um, in the morning and then 30, 40 minutes in the afternoon or a session. Um, so yeah, my, my normal week would be a easy, easy run on a Monday. Tuesday will be a, a VO2 kind of speed sessions. That might be like K reps. It might be 400s. It might be some hills and some threshold stuff. Um, Tuesday, Wednesday, sorry, is my midweek long. So like this morning was like 28 K. Um, Thursday is a pretty easy hour run, similar to Monday. Friday is when I do my um, my marathon specific stuff, um, or if I'm training for a like a five k or a cross country, that's when I'll do more specific things to that. Um, with the marathon, it it means most sessions are around that kind of twenty k, uh, twenty to twenty five k. Then by the time you add in a like a five k warm up, five k cool down, it ends up being quite a big day. Um, and then Saturday is a bit more of a recovery day, just an hour. And then Sunday for me is always pretty much two and a half hours. No matter no matter what I'm training for, I kind of tend to do two and a half hours every every single Sunday, which equates to about 30, 34, 35K. So um, yeah, it's, it's pretty busy. And then I have three gym sessions in there as well that I kind of fit in amongst the week when I, when I have time. And so they won't be scheduled, like your gym sessions won't be on particular days, it'll just be depending how the week goes um it yeah it does depend i i do have a bit of a structure but i work in my i work at a school and they've got an athlete development program so we have a gym there so i have access to this gym whenever i want um which makes it a lot easier for me but i i do try to do um monday morning thursday morning and then saturday but it just depends because sometimes you might have a you might have a race on a saturday so therefore you pull that a day forwards, therefore you pull that Thursday one a day. So I am quite flexible, but that's what I like most of my weeks to look like. Um, and I've been doing gym for a while now, so I'm I'm quite comfortable doing it a day before a session. Whereas a lot of runners probably aren't as good in the gym, uh, don't do as much stuff in the gym, so they're still pulling up a bit sore. So they like to do it after their sessions. Whereas for me, I'm I'm quite happy with that, and that works in well with my work schedule as well. So hmm. it does seem, you know running twice a day every single day um, w- would seem like it's a, a big toll on your body. Have you tried, do you c- try consciously to take the easy days really easy or try to really track your intensity distribution and those sorts of metrics to make sure that it doesn't sort of blow out of proportion? Yeah, it's um, it's probably something that I've gotten better at in the last year or so. Um, since my, my hard days during a marathon block are a lot harder and they're a lot purely there's just more volume. So your your body's a lot more there's a lot more load going through it. Um, and I've I've been wearing a whoop for probably two years now and that's something that I actually pay quite 
close attention to and if I have a if I have a day of pretty poor recovery I don't I don't panic but if that lasts for more than a day um, that's where I look to really ease things off and it's um, if I'll still run but rather than going out and running maybe a bit faster or over hills I'll try and really slow it down and try and stick to a pretty flat easy loop um, so that is definitely something I'm I have improved the last six months is keeping those there's easy days, really, really easy, but then trying to make the hard days harder, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, so you're trying to just um, polarize your training a little bit more. So yeah. like the really hard stuff is really hard, but yeah, that you're trying to separate, further divide the really hard with the really easy just to try and balance it out. Okay. Yeah, um, spot on. The, I was going to ask about the taper. Do you have any particular structure like leading up to the marathon um, you haven't ran many marathons, but have you sort of honed in on a, a taper that you find works for you? Yeah, it's one of those things that's really hard because a taper feels really bad because your, your body's so used to running. And especially when you're running big mileage, it's, it's used to going for an afternoon run every single day. And that's often, for me, I, I like to cut out the volume and keep the intensity during a taper. Um, and that you, you feel a bit yuck, but then on race day, you feel awesome. Um, but there's, there's so many things that can factor into a good result on race day. And it's really hard to know, Oh, was it that, was it that session I did last Tuesday? Like as a taper session, was that what it was? Or was it just, I was feeling good on the day. So I wouldn't say I've mastered it. Um, and there's probably going to be still little tweaks, but I'm, I'm more comfortable now than what I was when I ran my first marathon because I, I think I went a little bit too hard on the taper for my first marathon. Whereas these, this third one, we kind of continued doing a bit of hard work a little bit longer. Um, but just keeping that intensity there, but trying to drop the volume. So it's, but it's, it's so hard because you, the best tapers, you feel the worst during that. And you just, you just feel out of whack. It's, um, it's quite a strange feeling especially for your training schedule where you are running twice a day, every single day, like, you know, mm. that would just be what your body knows. Um, I yeah. think for a recreational runner who's only running, you know, four or five times a week and once a day, like they might respond a little bit differently, but that's where I guess the trial and error comes into it. Yeah. And it's, that's like, if I have a day off for whatever reason, I actually feel funny that next day when I'm running and I, for the first K or 2K, I actually feel a bit unco. Mm. Like, and that's just through having a day off. Like, it's just, it's crazy. Like, it's, um, yeah. So, it, the, the taper is very hard to master, but I think, I'm, I think I'm on the right track with it. So, you mentioned the volume reduction. Do you, do you put it down to a science? Like, do you have a number of what percentage reduction you like to have in your taper? Uh, it's probably not, there's, I wouldn't say it's a, there wouldn't be a certain ratio. Um, with my coach, he's, he's raced a lot and he, he takes, he gives his coaching advice on what he's seen, what he's done and what other athletes do. And it's all a bit of a mixture of that. And I wouldn't say there's a specific science behind it. It's more so based on previous learning from him, previous experience. Um, and he's had really good experience and he's been around for a long time. So I, I fully trust that and anything he gives me, I'll do like if, yeah, it's, um, I fully trust 
his programming and all that kind of stuff. But it's, um, yeah, often what we've been trying lately is you just drop uh, 10 minutes off each day for the last kind of like three or four days. So yeah, you might do 20 minutes the day before a race, then it's 30 minutes the day before that, 40 minutes and then 50 minutes. Um, just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. With a bit of a few little sessions in there as well, so that's as sciencey as it gets with us. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, can't complain with what is what's working. Keep and it simple. Yeah, and I, I think based on what the the research that I've delved into and the the science behind the taper, that they do seem to suggest like the reduction of the volume but maintaining that intensities um so that same advice you're giving out it seems that the um maintaining the higher faster stuff um the high intensity stuff seems to like you know just keep that spring in your step whereas like the reduction of the volume seems to give you kind of fresh legs in a way so you're kind of getting best of both worlds um yeah so good that that you say that I'm glad the science agrees with me. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's all I do because I, I don't know much about running marathons or running at this pace and that sort of stuff. I just, you know, read papers from behind my desk. That's all I've got. <laughs> no, nah, that's good. That's good. I'm, I'm glad. You mentioned the strength training. So you're, you know, hovering around two or three times a week. Um, and I do want to get through some of these patron questions. And Tasha asked uh, what your favorite strength exercises are. So I think this is a good opportunity to dive into that and um, just get a sense of what your gym program looks like. Yeah, so I, I saw this question and I actually, I really enjoy gym. And because it's so different to, to my normal training, normally for me, like a, a training session, an interval session or whatever it is, it's very... It's very structured and you have a minute's rest or you ha- it's like it's, it's so set in stone. Whereas I like going to the gym, lifting some what I think is heavy, but it's not actually that heavy, um, some heavy stuff around, sitting around for a bit. And then when you feel ready, you just get in and do another set. So I really like how different it is to running. Um, I, and I couldn't limit it to three, ex- uh, sorry, to one exercise. So I've chosen three. So hopefully I can do that. Um, my number, my number one is Bulgarian split squats. I think for runners, they are just so good. Um, that single leg strength is just really important. Um, I really like clean pulls. Um, I used to do deadlifts, but now I've kind of moved more so into clean pulls. I just, I, I prefer, prefer them. I find them a little bit easier and a little bit more, I think they work a little bit better for a runner. Um, and then... For me, the third one is just a, a hang power clean. Um, so just going from my knees because I had a bit of um, hamstring tendinopathy. So I just, I really struggle doing um, anything too deep. And I find with the clean pulls, I can get away with them. But if I do power cleans from the floor, just my hamstring gets a bit angry. So um, yeah, they're my, they're my three favorite ones. But if I absolutely had to choose one, it'd probably be the Bulgarian split squats. Is that why you um, moved away from the deadlifts with having the high hamstring history? Yeah, it is, and i I've made some I've made some adjustments. So I actually start I put some um, 
like the rubber tiles underneath the, the thing. So I'm just not going quite as deep um, because I had this tendinopathy. Oh, I can have, I still, I've still got it. Like I feel it on, when I start doing marathon stuff, I feel it, but it's just, it's learning how to manage these things. Um, and I noticed that when I was doing quite deep stuff, it would get angry. Um, and I've actually found the best thing for it is doing hip thrusts. And if I'm slack and don't do them for two weeks, all of a sudden I go for a run. I'm like, oh, geez, my hamstring's getting a bit tight. Um, but yeah, that, and I did find that the, yeah, the clean pulls were just a bit, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it felt a little bit less hamstringy. So I, I quite liked doing them and you can go a little bit heavier. And I just quite like that momentum. You kind of get moving the bar up. You use your legs, like your calves and that a little bit more than a deadlift. So it's, um, I think it's a great exercise and like I'm, I weigh about 60 kilos and I'm doing a, I think I'm doing about 75 kilos, which for me, like I'm, that's, I think that's pretty heavy. Um, so I'm happy with that. And I think that extra strength makes a massive difference to my running. Yeah, for sure. You'd have to be quite experienced to do those sorts of things. I think with the, the clean pulls and the, the power cleans, you sort of, it's a fair bit of technique that's involved and like, you know, I think recreational runners need to get a little bit more of experience before attempting those. Would you agree? Yes, a hundred percent. Like, and that's where I'm really lucky because in the in the program I I work in, we've got a strength uh, coach, and he's I think he's very he's very very good, and he's um he's worked with a lot of AFL clubs, worked with um some Chinese swimmers, Chinese national basketball team. He's from Bulgaria, and he's just he's very good, and I've learned everything from him, and he's I'm so lucky to have access to him because um, he knows everything and. He loves it and yeah, and that's where I wouldn't recommend going to a gym and just trying to do some power cleans because you you really need to stagger it and learn each part of that power clean before you start doing them. Yeah. Um, so don't don't jump out and do it. But a, a good one to practice, like another good one that I do a lot is, um, is single leg squats. I think they're really good or step ups for runners. Um, just that, that single leg stuff I think is really important and step ups are awesome. Like, People look at them and go, that's a basic exercise. Why would I do that? Because I think people these days see stuff on Instagram and that and they see like flashy stuff and they want to try to do that rather than do the basics and do the basics really, really well. Um, so yeah, I really like doing step-ups, like weighted step-ups, I think. And then you, you can exaggerate that knee drive as you step up, which is like, I think, one of the most relevant exercises for runners. So it's, um, yeah, I love... I love the gym and it's something that <clears throat> I will nearly skip a, a double run to get my gym in if I'm short on time. Like that's how much I prioritize it. And that's, I think that's why I've, um, I've had pretty limited injuries and, and quite, quite a fair bit of success in cross country and also in the marathon because you need that strength if you're running for, yeah, two hours plus. You're preaching to the choir here. I, I'm <laughs> heavy advocate for <clears throat> strength training and, We'll go into the split squat. It's it's funny that you mentioned that because I've been doing these a lot recently. Um, I've just had a um, a newborn daughter. She's 10 weeks old and I've been, you know, my available time now has just plummeted. And so yeah. I've tried to keep my strength as efficient as possible. And I used to do deadlifts, lunges, squats, calf raises. And now I'm just keeping it to one exercise twice twice a week and it is the bulgarian split squat purely for that reason because it's targeting 
it's a really efficient exercise. You're sort of doing kind of like a lunge, but kind of like a squat and you sort of, my hamstrings and glutes get really uh, a lot of doms after doing that. So I guess that's substituting the deadlift somehow. But mm. um, what I was also doing for, so I'd do those for two sets, but then I'd also do two sets of just getting like a weighted plate and putting it under my forefoot so that my heels off the ground when I do the split squat. And so that really like engages my calf and Achilles for the remaining two sets. So I'm kind of getting a bit of calf work, just trying to make it as efficient as possible. But um, if you're doing your split squat, what are you doing in terms of sets and reps? How many? Yeah. So it depends. Like I, I like to do it with weight. So I'll, I really mix it up and sometimes I'll hold a, um, a weight plate out in front of me, like a 15 or 20 kilo weight plate. And that's actually, <laughs> it's really good because it gets your arms going a little bit, which I think it's, as a runner, we don't use our arms, but they're still working for two hours. So I do a little bit of upper body stuff. I don't do much. Like I'm not doing bench press or anything like that. Like I'm talking like bent over rows, that kind of stuff. Like I just, and I'll, I'll literally do one or two upper body exercises um, because I think it's important to do that because with a marathon, you're swinging your arms like for two hours and 10 minutes. Like that's a long time, even if they're not, they're not working, but they're, they're doing something. Um, so when I, yeah, so sometimes I'll hold the weight plate out in front and then that way it's actually a, it's a core exercise. It's an upper body exercise and then it's a leg exercise as well. So maybe that's something you could look to incorporate because that's definitely um, that really just, and if you're holding 15 or 20 kilos out in front, that's, um, yeah, well, I, my arms are pretty weak, but you start to feel it pretty quickly. So I'll tend to do um, two sets of six. Um, if I'm going a bit, like if I have a bar on my back and I might have uh, like maybe 30, 40 kilos on my back, I'll do five because um, it's just, you're really, it's quite heavy. Um, so two sets of five, but I don't, I don't do, I used to do three sets and I just found it was a bit too much because I was doing single leg squats as well. And I'm doing step ups and I'm doing calf raises. And I just found that two by two by six was the perfect amount with weight. Um, but if you're not using weight, I'd probably look to do two by eight ish. Yeah. I like that. Um, I, you know, it's very, very common for a runner to just do the high rep range stuff, you know, even mm. three sets of 10 is pretty generic, but you know, they tend to gravitate towards the three by 12s and 15s and more of like the lower weight body weight stuff and just get really good at that. Cause I don't know we gravitate to what we're good at and mm. runners, when they get to the gym, if I eventually convince them to go to the gym, they're, yeah, they just gravitate to what they're good at and it's body weight stuff. They can do it for a very long time and impress people around them. But the the heavy stuff, they really struggle. And, you know, that's essentially a weak link that they need to strengthen. Uh, a lot of research to show that the stronger you are and the heavier you lift in the gym, the better you're going to perform endurance-wise, um, just tapping into other qualities of your body. And, um, yeah, so it's encouraging that someone of your caliber is following that kind of guidelines as well and getting good results so um yeah yeah well like i see the results myself but i also know that this is like a when i compare myself to a lot of other elite distance runners um in australia or around the world i see it as like a secret advantage because so many others if they go there they they're just doing these stupid ab workouts or stuff like that and it's um 
that's all they do. They or they might do some, I don't know, like some real basic glute exercises, and it's just. Whereas I see this is like a way that I can get a lot better than them through my strength stuff. So that's actually part of the the motivation to me to get up early, go to the gym at six o'clock, whatever time it is, um, because I know that most of my competitors aren't doing that. Um, so it's but I, it's crazy. Like you look at every sport. And they're so like at the gym strength and conditioning is super important. And in the running world, it isn't, whereas it should be doubly important because we're doing the same movement over and over and over. So of course you're going to need to strengthen them. So it's just, I'm always amazed at how far behind runners are. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, I think one of your advantages is yes, you're doing the gym work, but you actually enjoy doing the gym work. Like you, you've said it a couple of times, it's like one of the, the things that you prioritize. And I think when it comes to runners who just love running and kind of think of strength training as a bit of a chore, like as soon as, you know, their week gets a bit too busy or as soon as their marathon mileage picks up and they have to start like, you know, making compensation somewhere, the gym strength exercises are the first thing that, that, falls by the wayside just because they prioritize sort of what they love and maybe they're convincing themselves that more mileage is going to produce better outcomes for the marathon and so the strength training just falls away but um like i say you've got this habit and this love for strength training and like you say that's not going anywhere and you're prioritizing pretty heavily so that's probably why you're getting such good outcomes yeah no and that that is so true so many runners i know I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've be, been going to the gym. And then as soon as they start training for a, a race or it's it's winter, so there's less daylight hours, it is it is the very first thing that gets cut off. But I, I acknowledge I'm very lucky. I've got a, we've got a gym at school, so I'm literally in there by myself. I, I don't know how I'd handle the commercial gyms with all the gym nuffies. Like just, yeah, I don't think I'd handle that. Being a distance runner, we're very different. It's nearly like distance runners and sprinters. Like we just don't. <laughs> We just wouldn't get along. So I'm, I do acknowledge that I am really lucky to have access to my own my own gym with so much stuff. I'm never waiting for equipment or anything like that. So I, I am really lucky in that in that sense. Definitely. Um, let's switch gears because Julia, one of the other patrons, um, she wants to know uh, about fueling your marathons, what you do, what's your strategy, what's your game plan like during, uh, before, during, afterwards. Um, yep. Have you honed in on any particular strategy? Yeah, so um, this was this was one of the things, and it's it's one of the questions that's coming up. So I'll talk about more detail there. But referring back to Gold Coast, I was um, the marathon that got cancelled. I was very underprepared for that, and I hadn't done the work in terms of the nutrition. And when it got cancelled, I said, right, this is my this is a wake up call that I need to work on my nutrition um, pre and during. Um, Post is just like, it's just go have some beers, really. That's my <laughs> that's my nutrition post-marathon because you've worked that hard. Yeah, I'm not worrying about getting carbs in within a... Well, I am getting some carbs, but I'm not worried <laughs> about um, how, how I'm getting them in afterwards. It's just let your hair down. But uh, So I actually reached out to Jess Rothwell. She's a dietitian that works at the VIS AIS. Um, and she come up with a, a really good plan for me. So pre, I do a pretty heavy carb load that's uh goes for about four days um i've got a pretty sensitive stomach and obviously with a marathon you don't want to play around with too much so essentially for me it means a lot of rice for 
essential breakfast, lunch, and dinner, which is not very exciting at all. Waking up super early to eat just plain rice. Um, but that's, so I do, traditionally a lot of people have done like a big carb load the day before or like, oh, I'm running a marathon tomorrow, so I'm going to have spaghetti bowl for dinner the night before and that's my carb load. Whereas um, we actually start that four days out and it's, it is very structured. It's, I hate it because I don't like eating big amounts and it's eating big amounts three times a day. And every marathon I've started, I've actually been on the start line and I actually feel a little bit like overweight or like bloated, like you actually feel heavy. And then I get to like 15K and I feel like I've kind of burnt that energy off and I feel like how I would normally feel on the start line. And then what that means is I'm not hitting the wall at 30K because at, at 30K I'm feeling how I'd feel at 15K, if that makes sense. So I think it's I think it's one thing that we don't do enough of is a carb load prior to a marathon. Um, so that's that's what I do. But if you if you are keen on doing that, I think talk to a dietitian. They're experts in that field. Don't just go online and pull off information from people. Like go to the, your expert and and find someone that is a sports dietitian, especially if they're a runner or they're involved in running. Um, so that's pre. That's something that I've I've got that pretty down pat. I've done the same thing for all three of my marathons, and it's it's worked really well. So that's my that's my process and I stick to that and it's nice getting on the start line knowing this is how I should feel, this is how I felt last time. I didn't have any gut issues. Um, so you just get confidence from each time you do it and each time it goes well. So that's that's pre. Um, I know you said, oh, sorry sorry to cut sorry. you off, I know you said it's pretty boring, it's just rice. Are we talking actually just rice or is yeah. there some protein in there, any vegetables or nah, just it's, rice? It's normal, well... The the day before is just rice. Two days before there's vegetables. There might be tuna or chicken or but it's like unflavored, so very basic. And I might play around with some soy sauce. Um, I I had I've had a few gut issues in half marathons, so it's something I'm really aware of and something that I'd rather just suck up and have something really boring, if it means I don't need to stop in and go to the toilet on race day. Um, so it's. It is very boring, but the day before will literally just be rice. Whereas two days before, I'll have like rice with steamed veggies. There might be some chicken. There might be some avocado in there, stuff like that. But still very, very basic. Gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah. And then during I um, so I use Morton, and I'm pretty religious with that. So I'll I'll use the Morton drink mix, um, three twenty. I have that every five k. Um, I start with just the normal stuff and then from 20k onwards I have the caffeine um, I really like that I I don't really like the gels as much I find the drink mix really easy to have um, and I train with that uh, for essentially 10 weeks prior to the marathon so I'm having that either once or twice a week um, so I'll have that on my Friday morning sessions practice drinking um i've actually i met with my dietitian a few weeks ago and she's keen for me to try to up my carb intake um so that's something i'm going to practice over the next few weeks to try to because you actually have to train your gut to get used to taking in so many carbs um and and then i swear by flat coke at 40k um it's it's so good because you're so used to having uh this sweet really syrupy kind of mix 
for, for 80 of drink stops and then you just get a bit of that flat Coke and the sugar just, yeah, it's, it's magical. So that's one thing I always look forward to at 40K. Um, so that's during and I've always, I've never really had any issues there and I've been quite, and I think that's because I've put in the work in the training um, and, and we're, we're very lucky with Morton these days and there is other, other brands out there that are, that are getting a lot of carbs um, that can be absorbed into the body really quickly. So I think that's a massive improvement um, in technology that's happened in the last five years that can, that are, that's why we're seeing these fast times. Um, and then post, it's whatever. So I'll, I'll normally always like to have um, Coke or some sugar because that's what your body's craving afterwards and then normally try and have i always say i'm going to have a few beers but i normally have one and then i'm just like i just want to go to bed <laughs> so it's uh and you actually because you've you've taken on so much fuel during the marathon you're not hungry afterwards which sounds really bizarre because you're like you've been running for two hours and 10 minutes how can you not be hungry but it really like it really messes with your body so often i end up like Every, I know every marathon I've done, I've been in a foreign country, like I've been in Germany or in um, in the UK, and often I end up just going to a Macca's and just having fries because it's like you've got that, you've got the salt, you've got like it's just simple carbs. So it's um, but yeah, I just I don't have any. There's no protocols afterwards. It's um, it's very much just enjoy whatever you feel like. I'm sure, like doing all that bulk training doing all the hard work and then just being able just to treat yourself thereafter is going to be very rewarding and mm. very satisfying. Yeah, you you need it mentally. Like it's it's not just the physical break you need after a marathon. You need it mentally to like switch off and, and relax and, and live like a normal person because when you're running 180K, you, you feel like, especially working on top of that, you feel like all, you do, all you're doing is running or working. So it's, it's good to enjoy not doing any of that <laughs> yeah i was um a few years ago i talked to christy ash Wonden and she authored the book good to go yep. and she's talking yeah, about fueling it. that sort of stuff yeah she's yep. an advocate for having beers afterwards and i i talked to her on it um and she's like yeah it's a bit of carbs and that sort of stuff but it is just so relaxing for some people just to really unwind and chill and socialize and like it just you know do, you know you can substitute beer with whatever you know, gets, you, you have the same effect with, but mm. it's, it's so true. Like you do need that enjoyment. You do need to unwind. You do need to, um, socialize and all that sort of stuff that really helps aid the recovery. Yeah, that it's so true. And you need to live that balanced life. But since we're in a whoop, whenever I have a few beers, my recovery the next day is just like, oh, the whoop hates alcohol, like yeah. hates it with a passion. Like often, like I, I ran a, national cross a few weeks ago and went out and i think i i had maybe three or four beers and then i wake up the next day and my recovery is at five percent which is like that's really really low um like often i'm often i'm around 75 80 percent and it was and it's just purely those beers um just with the inflammation and all that kind of stuff but i i do get her that it's um it is important to to switch off and relax and all that and obviously going out and having a beer i think um it can be really healthy in a way yeah. Speaking of the whoop and that sort of stuff, um, are you paying much attention to your sleep? Like how much sleep you're getting, just training in general? Um, do you prioritize that sort of stuff? 
Yeah, I do. I think it's um, sleeps the is the best performance enhancing thing you can do, um, and it's and it's it's completely clean and safe. So that's one thing I really look to. Um, I look I look to improve as much as I can with work. I'm up pretty early in the morning, so I'm um, I've got a pretty good routine getting into bed around nine o'clock, and I'll always read and have my phone away from me because everyone falls into that trap. You get scrolling, all of a sudden that's an hour's gone. You're like shit, and then you go to sleep and you can't sleep and all that kind of stuff. So it's that's one thing I've gotten a lot better at the last few years is getting to bed at really regular times and then spending time reading. And then I find as soon as my pillow, as soon as my head hits the pillow, I'm I'm out because I've had a big day and then I've kind of got my mind and body ready for sleep um, rather than just scrolling aimlessly through Instagram or whatever. So it's um that's one thing I I definitely have focused on and i feel like i'm i'm quite good at these days yeah you sort of alluded to um changing your nutrition over the past year or two um do you mind diving into that yeah yeah so i i started seeing jess mainly because i was i was often having these races and having to go to the toilet and all this kind of stuff and we eventually well it's kind of self-diagnosed so i don't know how true it is but i'm as like lactose intolerant so I've just cut a lot of things out of my diet she helped with that immensely um and that's helped with performance a lot and she's actually probably got me eating more um because I'm running so much I I wasn't I was under fueling which is dangerous in a few ways obviously you you're more prone to injury more prone to sickness but you're just not actually like food is your recovery like that's how you like the best way to recover, eat well, drink well, sleep well kind of thing. And I, f- I was probably doing one of those things, the sleeping, but not drinking enough and not eating enough. Um, and she's she's all for eating, like well, however you can get carbs in, just have it. Um, so that's, that's one thing that I've definitely improved through seeing Jess is it's like don't feel guilty for – for having that donut or whatever it is because you've just ran for two hours <laughs> like you've burnt off a lot and you need to replace that so it's um i think it's a trap a lot of runners fall into is eating less and not eating enough and that's why they get injured or um have a lot of fatigue and all that kind of stuff yeah it's <clears throat> it's like simple like high volume especially like looking at your schedule and all the the mileage that you're pulling out like you have to get that energy from somewhere <laughs> and if you're not getting it with the intake with your food and you're not getting this um the adequate nutrition then your body's just going to really really struggle and yeah. Yeah. it sort of can extract <clears throat> energy elsewhere like can extract minerals from your your bones and organs and that sort of stuff and that's when you get a lot of dysfunction like you know yeah. you get thyroid dysfunction and your bone density is lost and all that sort of stuff so um yeah, you really need to top it up as your mileage picks up. Yeah, it's so true. And I think that's um, that's part of the reason why like I haven't had many injuries at all. Like I've had that I've had that hamstring um, tendinopathy and I actually blame COVID on that because I was sitting in a pretty crappy chair at home, working <laughs> from home and um, but yeah, and then I've had I've had one bone um, just a stress reaction, not even a fracture in my in my femur um oh wow and that's and that's all i've had like i haven't had any other injuries um like you get the odd little tight achilles or something but i've never had anything major and um the only time i take off running is just because i've 
I'm pretty tired and I might be, um, I've been consistently running for six months straight. So I want to have a few days off. And I think part of that is because I'm always a really healthy weight. Like I'm never trying to lose weight or I don't watch what I eat. So therefore my body's always got plenty of um, like energy to burn in a way rather than being depleted and, and relying on other resources. So I think that's a, that's a massive thing that a lot of runners can improve and not getting so caught up on light is better. Definitely. Yeah. You seem to be like very switched on and like a lot of attention to a lot of the, the right things. Like you're doing the strength training, you're doing like your um, intensity distribution, you know, you're sort of really focusing on the nutrition and the sleep and you, you, all these like quality things you seem to be having a very conscious mind about and doing very well. Um, is there anything else in terms of, I don't know, recovery strategies, anything else that you enjoy doing? Do you foam roll or massage or anything like that? Yeah, I actually, I hate foam rolling. Um, it's just a bit of, I don't, I'm not a big fan of it. I'd much, um, I'd much, Personally, I do, I'll stretch, like I'll rather do some hamstring stretching or some hip flexor stretching and that actually makes me feel better than foam rolling and I then I, I actually perform better in the gym because I'm that little bit more flexible um, and I'm like obviously being a runner, you have terrible flexibility because your, your range of motion isn't great being a distance runner and you're just doing the same movement over and over. So like my hamstrings are terrible but like my squat is actually okay because I do that extra bit of stretching. Like I'll try and stretch. I'd love to say every day, but it's probably every second day. Like, and it's just 10, 15 minutes. It's nothing. It's not rocket science. It's just literally like an L sit against the wall and I'll do a, a few hip flexor stretches. And that actually helps me feel so much better because you can get so tight, especially through your, your groin like hip flexors area being a runner. Um, so that's one thing I look to do a fair bit and it's actually quite relaxing because yeah, it's not hard and you just sit there and I often just try to, like I'll try not to be on my phone and you're just more so in the moment. Um, or while you're watching TV, it's pretty simple. So that's that's one thing I do a lot, which is probably something that a lot of people don't do. Um, and... I also see a sports psych. So that's something I've started doing in the last six months. And that's been a massive, um, a massive improvement. And it's helped me a lot um, in a lot of my races over the last few months. That's something else I've tried to, I feel like I've with my running and my training, I've, I haven't maxed it out, but I feel like I'm near my potential. So I've, I've been trying to find other ways on how I can improve. And the, that started with the dietitian Um and the gym work and now it's kind of like all right let's kind of work with the sports psych and really tap into that mental side because i think that mental side is i, I think it's around 30 to 40 percent of the um performance outcome so it's um it's huge and so many people don't don't work on it and um yeah so that's probably what i'm working on the most at the moment very cool so would you dive into sort of like pre-race jitters or anxieties but also like mid-race kind of mental strategies and that sort of stuff yeah exactly like some of the key things i've kind of taken away is just like not like with those nerves that's what our brain does it's normal to do that so it's not trying to not have those thoughts it's just trying to come um i suppose accept them and go this is normal this is what my brain's going to do it's going to think oh what happens if this 
happens or what ha- like how am I going to react here or what like is this going to hurt like so it's just accepting those thoughts that's one thing I've taken away and then also when you're in a race and when things aren't going your way trying to find an anchor like I know that's a bit of a it's it's a bit lame and it sounds real catchphrasey but trying to have that thing that you can come back to to get into that present moment um, and for me I find what works best for that is um, feeling how my feet hit the ground so if I'm struggling in a race I'll and it, like when you're running it's so hard to control your thoughts because your your brain doesn't work because it's what your body's working so hard so like so I've, I've had some terrible maths at times in in races because your brain like it's it's under that much stress, it can't do maths. So you're like, you think you're going to run this time and then you're way off because you're like miscalculated how long you actually had or how long it's going to take. So when you're having these negative thoughts in a race, it's really hard to get out of that that pattern and it just like snowballs. So for me, I couldn't think of something like a mental anchor didn't work. So I needed to find a physical one. So I find if I'm starting to feel bad, I'll pay attention to how I'm landing and how my feet are like, hopefully I'm kind of rolling through and taking off on my toes and I'll pay attention to that. And then that reminds me of like when I'm feeling strong and I'm feeling good and I'm light on my feet. And then I kind of all of a sudden you start having these more positive thoughts and then you're kind of out of that that spiral kind of thing. So they're the... They're the main things I'm working on and I I haven't mastered it at all, but it's something that I'm becoming more aware of and I'm practicing with all these races. So I'm keen to, I haven't done a marathon since I've started seeing this sports psych, so I'm keen to put some of these to the, the real test in a marathon. Yeah, well, marathons are a battle like physically and mentally. So, you know, having a psychological edge is, is going to be key. I guess like, you know, a lot of the, especially when you're talking about elites and pros and when you're at the front pack, there's a lot of jostling and a lot of tactics when it comes to changing speeds and like trying to throw someone else off their, off their rhythm and that sort of stuff. And so I guess that's where it could be quite a bit of a psychological minefield. Yeah, exactly. And, and when you're in these races, it's, it's really racing. So if you put in a surge and you try to make people think you're feeling better than what you actually are, like you kind of, uh, yeah, fucking with them mentally um and that's that's one thing i'm kind of learning and getting better at is trying to make other people feel worse through a bit of a bluff kind of thing so it's um yeah it's quite interesting and i've always been really intrigued about the mind um alex hutchinson i'm not sure if you've read his book or you've heard much from him definitely he's someone yeah he's someone who i just think super interesting that's like i've read that book twice and it's i'm, I'm <laughs> still I'll still pick it up every now and then and read different parts of it and I'll learn something new and I'm like, oh, shit, that's so, that's so yeah. amazing. So it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. You're talking about Endure, the book? I don't think he yes. has another one. He does. He's got a few. He's, he released some like weights before cardio and all these other things, but they're not worth reading. But Endure is, it's my favorite book. It's my, yeah, absolute favorite. Yeah. Even just like um, sports performance aside, I just love this psychology of things um i just Mm. love you know diving into what people are capable of and i love like watching documentaries of people just pushing their limits and their capabilities and those sorts of things and that that book really kind of resonates and aligns with you know just how much of a 
mental handbrake your, your brain can put on you if you let it and those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, when you, it, it can be a marathon, it could be any other grueling task you want to do. I liked just, um, during lockdown, just giving myself like all these brutal kind of workouts just to do something hard. Um, and just challenge myself in a, in a way that's not really like, even if it's just a 30 minute, let me just see how many rounds of these sort of exercises I can do in 30 minutes and just, you know, you're 10 minutes in and your body's saying slow down or stop and you, you're trying to just push beyond. It's, um, yeah, I've just been extremely curious about that. And I commend you for sort of recognizing that you're sort of approaching sort of your peak fitness physically. What can I do? What other domains can I search around for to, to get that extra edge? Um, yeah, it's, it's very cool that you can have a, a whole bunch of um, weapons at your arsenal. Oh, it's, it's so true. And the mind is the most powerful muscle. I think it's um, it's crazy what the brain can do and how it can alter how you're feeling and everything. So it's um, yeah, I think it's I think it's really cool stuff as well. Yeah, mate. Uh, I was going to ask about um, like any advice that you had for recreational runners wanting to avoid hitting the wall. Like, but we've discussed so many stuff already to help people with that. Is there any other advice you might have that we may not have discussed? Yeah, I like I've never hit the wall, so I don't truly understand it or know what it feels like. But I think it comes down to good training, uh, good pacing. So I, all of my races, I've always tried to get to 30K and still feel in control. I think too many people get caught up and they run too fast at the start. So it's much better to, to be controlled early rather than... Um, going off too hard and getting to 30k and feeling all oh, crap because there's there's a lot of running to do after 30k and you can definitely make up a lot of time whereas you can lose so 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 much time if you go out too hard so um yeah good pacing and then also just that carb load i actually think that makes a big difference and that nutrition during the marathon i'd say they're the they're the big parts yeah it's funny like um just this week i'm i was working on a um YouTube video on how to avoid hitting the wall. And I talked to, um, Steph Natchek, who's a runner's dietitian and yep. she's been on the podcast a couple of times. And I asked her like, you know, what do you do for the carb load? What do you recommend? And she said like, um, if it's, if most recreational runners are doing like a three hour marathon, they need to be carb loading for about three days. And yep. to your point, people just have a bowl of pasta the night before and think they've carb loaded. Um, you're really looking to extend that and, as you say, like be on the start line feeling a little bit plump and full of rice and um, yeah. feeling a little bit like, I don't know, lethargic in a way based on the, the amount of loading that you've been doing. And it, and it should be even more important for those people that are running three hours, four hours because they're actually out there for longer. Like I, yeah. don't, I don't like full credit to those people that are running. Um, like you see some people running marathons for four four and a half, five hours. And I'm like, shit, that's a long time to be out. Like I've, I have so much respect for those people. Cause I couldn't imagine just running for that long. Uh, yeah. It's just, walking, so. it's like more time, more time when you're, um, like more time out there to get dehydrated, more time out there for your stomach to, you know, turn on you or, for, you know, for your carb to be depleted and to like mm. switch to another energy source. And like there's, yeah, it's just a, a bit more grueling and mentally as well. Like, 
you know, two hours of suffering is totally different than four and a half hours of suffering. So, um, you know, the, the mind only has so much bandwidth. And so there's, there's so many things that's, it's like a different battle if you're out there for twice as long. Yeah. Nah, so true. It's, um, yeah. And they're the people that really should be doing that carb load and they're, they're the people that probably aren't. So hopefully they can, they can get better at that. Yeah. Excellent, mate. Um, as we wrap up, is there, is there any other final tips, um, bits of advice that you might have for recreational runners just wanting to improve and, um, you know, just become better runners? Yeah, I'd say um, really consistent training is better than doing super sessions or super long runs. So just try to be good weeks on top of good weeks rather than trying to bang out an awesome week and getting injured or getting sick or whatever. So just try and be consistent and do that over a long period of time and that's the best that's the best thing for success in my opinion. So Well said, mate. Um are you active on social media? Like if people want to learn more about you, um are there is there like Instagram or any yeah, other yeah. So I'm, follow? I'm I'm on Instagram. I wouldn't say I'm I'm probably not um, super active, um, but I do use it, but it's just Andy underscore Buchanan. Um, I'm very active on Strava. So that's probably my, I'd, I'd say that's my main, such a runner's answer. That's my main social <laughs> media channel. Um, so if you just look up Andy Buchanan on there, I put, I put all my training and go into a fair bit of detail around like splits and that kind of stuff. So that's probably the best, that's the best spot to follow me if you can to follow along. Yeah, definitely. Um, thanks for sharing all your little tips and tricks to produce such such success. And, you know, all of the stuff that you've mentioned has been in, well in align with the podcast and the episodes that we've done on these sort of topics. And so it's good to see these, um, these strategies work and work to such an elite level, such as yourself. And so um, I want to Thank you for coming on, sharing your time, sharing all your little secrets and um, what's next for you? What do you have coming up or what, what goals are you working on? Yeah, so I'm doing a Fukuoka Marathon, which is in December. Um, so that's where Brett broke the Australian record last year. Um, so I'll, I'll head there and hopefully um, <clears throat> continue my, I know I've run a, I've run a PB in two, or three, two out of three of my marathons. So hopefully I can continue that and yeah, it'd be like I'd love to run um yeah 209 something there's a really for me there's just a big difference between a 209 versus a 210 marathon <laughs> um so i i'd really love to try to go and run 209 there so i've um i've just started my training for that this week um and yeah that'll be that'll be my big goal and then hopefully that gets me qualified for the paris olympics um yeah wish to wish to mid next year cool mate well i look forward to um, keeping an eye on how everything develops over the next 12 months. It's really cool to get a, a, an inside look. So um, like I said, once again, thanks for sharing and thanks for coming onto the podcast. No, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me on. If you are struggling to overcome an injury, you can jump on a free 20-minute injury chat with me, which you can book through my calendar in the show notes. While you're in the show notes, elevate your running IQ by jumping onto my free email list so you can receive material to help rehab your injury, lower your injury risk, and increase your performance. If emails aren't for you, consider my Facebook group, Instagram, and YouTube channels. 
And remember, each insight you get from these resources brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough. Oh, 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 oh,